Hey, it's Dalia. Quick thing before we jump into today's show. Now, if you're listening on an Apple device, then I am talking to you. So Apple has been Appling, and during recent software updates, there's a chance that it actually unfollowed the zest from your podcast feed without you even knowing it. So to check and see if this has happened to you, here's what you do. Open your podcast app, search the zest, and select the homepage. Look in the top right corner, and if you see a pause symbol, then go ahead and tap that pause symbol to resume automatically receiving episodes of The Zest when they drop every Thursday morning. You might also see a download symbol or a plus sign. Same thing. Go ahead and tap that symbol to make sure you are following the show. We have some really fun stuff coming up for you this season, and we want to make sure you are around to hear it. While you're at it, tell a friend because maybe they were also a victim of this atrocity. Friends, don't let friends miss an episode of The Zest. Okay, here's today's show. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. It's like grammar. You learn rules. and You're not supposed to break the rules. And I think the really great thing about playing with your food is the breaking of the rules. I'm Robin Sessingham, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm, we're all about food in Florida. Florida is not just beaches and Disney World. It's got serious farming cred. In fact, it was the original cattle ranching state. We find out a lot of surprising food facts when I talk to Heather McPherson, coming up. How do you become an expert on Florida food? Heather McPherson has spent decades as food editor at one of the state's major newspapers. She's the author and editor of several cookbooks showcasing Florida's seafood and produce. She's the publicist for the famous Floridian chef Art Smith, and she lends her writing talent to the Florida Dairy Farmers and Edible Orlando Magazine, among others. She's also an energetic advocate for Florida farmers. I spoke to her about what makes Florida food so special. Heather, it is so nice to talk to you finally. I have wanted to talk to you for a long time. Thanks so much for being on The Zest. It is my pleasure. You came from Indiana, apparently, to the University <laughs> of Florida, right? And um, actually came into Florida um, pre-Disney. So I'm part of those people who are almost, you know, we're, we're sort of grandfathered in as semi-natives. <laughs> you, know? you really couldn't be more native. You um, have <laughs> went to Florida and have really become more Floridian than... <laughs> it is true. And, I well, love and- I love the state. I mean, I, I love its produce. I love the farmers. I love the food makers. I love the chefs. And um, Florida gets this weird look from the rest of the country because mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's a long peninsula, you know, with a handle up there, and so we encompass such a unique slice of the South. And we are Southern. There are people who argue that we're not, but we also. I'm with you there. You know, surrounded by great bodies of water, we have a heritage river that is like our life vein that flows right through the middle of us, the St. John's River. And we have always taken 
newcomers from everywhere, whether it was the Spanish, whether it was the French or the British, you know, all of the different food things that happened in the U.S., there's a little bit of a Florida connection, which has mm-hmm. fascinated me from the beginning from, you know, the entire country wouldn't have had cattle culture without Florida. It didn't go. It didn't come up through Mexico. It did not go to Oklahoma. It didn't go to Texas. They came into Florida and then made their way west. Oh, and I don't even think I knew that. Florida is the birthplace of the nation's beef industry. Wow. Um, there's actually some famous Remington paintings and the Florida cow- the Florida cowboy actually on the back of his saddle, you'll see something yellow and it's actually um, a slicker because of the rain here. But the Spanish came huh. and they actually, could you imagine this voyage? I mean, talk about, this is not a Viking cruise, people, but they would like come over and they would, they would have cows tied up in Muslim. And, you know, and, and then, you know, they came in through the Melbourne area, actually. And, mm-hmm. um, and of course, a lot of people were coming in and people scattered and we had native people here. And um, there's actually um, uh, herds of cattle called cracker cattle and their, their heritage breeds. And many, many of Florida's um, wonderful um, beef cattle branches actually keep small herds of this historic line of cattle for Florida. But we're wow. a calf, calf and we're still we're a calf cow state. We're in the top ten, actually. I believe we're still in the top five. We're largely a lot of our cows get shipped to the Midwest or to Texas to be uh, raised, and then they come back. My thing, you know, I spent. 30 years as food editor for the Orlando Sentinel. And I used to, mm-hmm. people would have come here. Everyone came here from somewhere else, whether you ended up in the villages or whether you, in, you know, ended up in Ponciana or whatever. And people would say, well, you know, I'll never have a steak like an Iowa steak here. And I would always love, you know, very politely, not sarcastically saying, well, you know, that Iowa steak was, was born in Florida. How great. I I love your enthusiasm. And Heather, you are the poster child for the Zest podcast because our whole mission, our whole mission statement really is that people in Florida come from all over the place, from everywhere else. It's a very transient state, but they can find a home here and an identity here through the food. And yes, that's exactly what you did. I I, I you know, I think you are a perfect example <laughs> of why we have this podcast. So um, you have, like you said, 30 years at the Orlando Sentinel as food editor. You've written cookbooks. You're writing, writing, writing all the time about food. So what's what sets Florida food apart? What's your favorite thing about Florida food? Well, what sets us apart are our seasons. Um, we can, we can, we're, we have seasons year long where other states in the union don't, you know, winter will come and it will shut some things down. Now our seasons, when you come here from up North or you come from the West, you have to get sort of acclimated to the rhythm here. Um, the fact that our strawberries come in right after Thanksgiving and are in the December is pretty eye-opening to some people, you know, who are waiting for a summer berry from Oregon, you know, or Michigan or something like that. And mm-hmm. you, so you get these treats really early. Um, right now we're a little dormant, but we're still in season for tropicals in the heat you know, mangoes, all kinds of wonderful things are still ripe. If, you know, what I'd love for people to do when they move here is take some of these great foodie road trips and discover your new home. Like if you go down to the Fairchild Botanical Gardens, 
um, in South Florida and you see a thousand species of mango from all over Yeah, the world. we have a, <clears throat> we did a great interview. Janet Keeler did a great interview oh, with uh, good. Uh, Nori uh, Ledesma, their, mm-hmm. their mango expert down there. It's fantastic. It really yeah. is. And so, um, yeah, we just interviewed um, Alan Susser from oh, Miami. Yes. Such who, a great about oh. about mangoes because there was no mango festival this year. <laughs> so he's kind of doing an online uh, mango celebration. And, you know, once once we all get used to these, you know, new flavors and new tropical treats and then other things that we were that we have, you know, we, we grow just about everything here that you grow elsewhere. And we talk about people coming from other places. They've brought their produce with us. Florida has a very large Asian population and we grow some of the best baby bok choy, all kinds of stuff. People want to see what's familiar on their plates from where they've been. And they have found that, you know, Florida farmers will farm. You tell them you're going to buy it, they're going to farm it. Um, and so a lot of farmers have multiple crops. You've got your, the strawberry growers will um, often grow cantaloupe and other things because you want to keep that ground, you know, going. You want you want to sustain the environment. So you'll see a lot of that. Um, you know, things like seafood, you know, shrimp is always in season in Florida. We have five species of shrimp. Year round, you can get Florida sustainable shrimp and just getting to know your state. I think for anyone is the, is that's your first step, you know? Okay. I, I was born and raised here. I thought I knew my state, but Heather, you've already told me five (laughs) things. I had no, I didn't know we had five species of shrimp. I mean, wow. Well, you know, not all your mainstream supermarkets are going to have it all the time, but you are going to find places. um, And I know all over the state, there's great seafood um, retail outlets to go to, whether you have an authentic fishmonger. I know along the Gulf Coast, there's tons of places. I live. You have to search them out. You 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 do. do have to search out the fishmongers. You do. And there's a great resource and it's free. I always tell people, you know, your tax dollars are doing some days you may feel like your road isn't as pretty as you want it to be. But when it comes to information about food, you can go to freshfromflorida.com and find out they actually have the people who have the Fresh from Florida seal. They have them listed there with their address with their website and they can save you a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And what I like my husband and I do when we travel, if we're over in Ormond beach, you know, we'll know we'll we'll either want to stop in Kings and, and uh, orange city, or we'll want to go to halls over um, right on the Granada bridge. These are people who own their own boats. They go out, they bring it in. You can talk to them about stuff. And they, these are people who also keep their bycatches and bycatches are the things like, you go out to, to catch, you know, I'm going to use a bad example because there's limits, but say it's snapper or whatever, and you have only can bring in so many pounds. So what a lot of people will do, will throw over if I have a golden crab or I have mackerel, I have this. So many of the Florida fishmongers with their own boats bring that bycatch back. And that's what you want. You don't want to throw it over. And so they mm-hmm. also sell that where they are. And they'll tell, they love to tell you how to cook it. So um, don't be afraid ask questions. That's wonderful advice. If you know, if you can find those people who are bringing it back on a boat by themselves, themselves, that's fantastic. Because I know, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, and with Laura Riley, you know, the um, former food editor from the Tampa Bay Times. 
yeah, you, I know it's a small, it's a small world, isn't it? Janet, all, we all clump, you know, we all find each other because, you, you know, we bore other people because this is all we want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't bore me, <laughs> but no, the problem with bringing in Chinese frozen seafood and, um, you know, <sighs> because it's cheaper. So, you know, if you can find the fresh local Florida seafood, that's fantastic. You might need to pay a little bit more. Right. Um, I always try to remind people. It how much you're supporting the state's economy and ecology by doing mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, like you said, you may pay a little bit more, but you know, agriculture and aquaculture in Florida is a billion dollar business. People always think it's strictly tourism. Agriculture is right up there with tourism as an important part of keeping Florida um, thriving. Yeah. Well, one of your cookbooks, Field to Feast, um, you're obviously very interested in where the food comes from and the growers. And I'm just wondering, um, in Field to Feast or in Good Catch, which is about the seafood, um, did you learn anything that surprised you from working on those books? You know, I think that um, I always learn something that surprises me. I mean, I always, um, you're doing research on something and like you said, you think you know everything and then you find out that um, landmark chestnut trees were planted in Gainesville, Florida. Um, that saved, you know, the nation from a blight. And and so there was research being done out of the University of Florida. And and you, you find out these little niches of things and, and you, you feel a part of a bigger community across mm -hmm. the U.S., really across the world. Um, I love to follow research out of IFAS. And IFAS is the Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. It's based out of the University of Florida. And this isn't just my loyalty to the Gator Nation. I mean, they do incredible <laughs> research there that all right. universities, you know. And um, right now we're experimenting with vanilla in South Florida. Um, I which, saw that. Which is going to be a wonderful thing. Um, one of the states, you know, olive trees are coming back to Florida. What, we're what we would find um, is that um, certain crops love, you know, we had have, we have all the citrus freezes. So a lot of farmers lost their citrus, especially Lake County's 80, I think about 83 was the last really devastating one. And then people began to find things that love old citrus soil. The first one was blueberries. Mm -hmm. Florida blueberries now are just sort of everywhere. I mean, we just, you know, right after strawberries, we get it, we get into blueberries and, they have a really narrow season and people before that, before North Carolina comes in. Correct. Season. Yeah, that's it. It's not like our peaches now. It's like quick, quick before South Carolina and Georgia get in. That's but, right. But we but one other thing about that crop is that when I first started writing about food, we were represented by the state of Michigan um, in marketing for blueberries because we were first out. But we were a nothing crop. They didn't care about us sort of thing. So now we're a multimillion dollar crop. Because in Lake County and other places, they found out the high bush blueberry loves old citrus soil. It likes sand high and dry. So they were able to replenish these farms and making and eventually making blueberries an important part of the economic la agricultural landscape. Which and we have to mention that one reason the farmers are going to blueberries and going to peaches and other things is not just the freezes, it's, of course, it's citrus greening, yeah. um, which has devastated the citrus industry. It's down 70%, 70% from what it was uh, during its peak. So uh, those farmers, a lot of them have sold and the land's been mm -hmm. developed um, because a lot of, like you said, high and dry land in Florida 
is very valuable to developers. And you can't, I mean, as sad as it is to see it go into housing subdivisions, um, you can't blame them for wanting to make their money. But a lot of the, you know, a lot of the farmers don't want to leave farming and then go on into these other crops. You know, it's, you know, it's like the, the olive trees that are coming back. You know, there's olive trees, you know, we're in Florida with the Spanish brought them. Um, and there's actually the, the oldest living olive tree in Florida, I believe still is in Ormond Beach. Um, there's actually, I've been told that there is an attachment to the deed of this, the, of the suburban house that certain scientists get to visit it twice a year, to, you know, because it's still thriving and just to make sure that they so know why. like 300, 500 years old? I don't I really know its birth date, you know, but... Because I think the Spaniards, what, 500 years ago was when yeah. they settled it's, in St. Augustine. So I, it might be really old. <laughs> but I just think that's fascinating as we yeah. find out again, you know, olive trees like that high sandy soil and they like to grow densely. They found a couple of varieties where now there's now a Florida olive oil association pressing olive oil. It, it is, is for really, yes, it's real expensive. They're actually doing it as a co-op where they'll bring their, I believe the, I believe it's in live Oak and they'll bring all the oil there and have it, you know, massively pressed you know, and then they take the bottles back to um, to the, their individual places to sell it. It's expensive because we don't have a lot of product. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're not yet Greece, you know, Italy or Spain with olive oil. But, you know, and it'll be quite a while before that builds up. But, you know, and you asked about surprises. I think people are always surprised. They think about Florida beef, um, you know, especially in central Florida. We know about the cowboy culture around Kissimmee, Silver Spurs Radio. I think sometimes they forget about the dairy cows that are in Florida. Uh, Yes. So that is what I wanted to talk to you about. I see that you're doing some work for the Florida Dairy Farmers, the the industry group that represents the dairy in Florida. You know, you don't do not think of Florida as a dairy. It seems too hot. You think of Wisconsin, of course, as a dairy state. Well, there's dairy here. There are. There's there's a lot of dairy here. And um, this is a Holstein state, you know, I think up in Jersey, you find more of the brown cows. So you'll see a lot of black and white cows. Um, and the herds around here can range from about 150 to 5,000. The cool thing though, is these farms, 90% are owned and operated by second and third generation farmers. And that's huge. We, we probably have, I would gather about 125,000 um, dairy cows in Florida. And that math alone is about 300 million gallons of milk a year. Now it's real important, you know, when you think about, you know, okay, that's sustainable for the state of Florida, but we actually help the Caribbean get dairy because they don't have grazing land. So mm. we will help a lot of the Island nations, a lot of our, our neighbors to the South, um, get milk there. Cause it's a quick ship down there because they don't have the capacity to feed. And so Florida is still, you know, doing its best trying to feed, feed the world. And um, I just, so the Holsteins then are kind of suited. They can take the heat. They can take the heat. Yeah. Yeah. So how big there, how many dairy farms are there? How big is the industry? Um, It's, it's pretty big. I mean, I would, you know, I I know that we've got over a hundred thousand cows. We've certainly the number of farms are several hundred. Um, the largest counties that we have with dairy are Okeechobee and Lafayette. Well, the down, down south, like around. Down south. Yeah. But we had, 
I'm in Lakeland and we had a dairy farm here for ever. Um, but it's gone now. You know, yeah. that land is just too valuable. That same thing happened up a little bit farther north. Um, Pfizer Dairy is the last remaining dairy farm um, in the greater Orlando metro area. Yeah. And there's and there Gerald's still farming. Um, but you will find, you know, you'll find them all over the state, a little bit farther to the south. And um, they're doing incredible stuff. Um, and it's just, it's just amazing. What I'd love for people to do, and it's, so many people are homeschooling right now, whether or not you're doing your county live, um, what have you, but you can go to floridamilk.com and you can actually meet the families, which I think is the coolest thing. Meet the farmer. Um, and you'll see that the kids are involved. Everyone's involved from, you know, from the get go. And uh, it's to me, that brings more to your plate when you see a real person. You don't just, you know, you're not just picking up the carton like, oh. It's not just a white liquid. You know yeah. where it comes. Well, there was one fact on the website. One gallon of milk is 345 squirts of a cow's udder. Hmm. <laughs> Who knew? I did not Who know. Knew? Of course, luckily we have uh, electric, we have mechanical milking machines now. Right. So <laughs> right. that's, that sounds like a lot of work. It does sound like a lot of work. And, you know, in cooking, you know, now, you know, people, it seems like everyone has like, you can't invite anyone over to dinner without like saying, you know, what are you allergic to or whatever. Right. And so now we have, you know, A2, we have A2 milk. Um, we have all kinds, we have low fat skim, everything you want. We have condensed um, shelf stable milks, which Floridians know. This is what we do in a hurricane. They're already part, of, always part of your yeah. your hurricane kit. You know how oh, you can yeah. reconstitute that, how you can continue to cook with it. Mm -hmm. But as a cook, um, you know, I'm always fascinated to play with my food, and being able to play with all the different forms of liquid milk, um, it, it, to me, is always fascinating to do. I love even the mistakes. Um, you always, I'm always striving to maybe lower the fat in a recipe. Um, but you know, you need fat to emulsify. You also mm -hmm. need it for creaminess. And then how you play with that, uh, fluid milk, which we are primarily a fluid milk state though, goes into ricotta. It goes into yogurt. It goes into all kinds of other products as well. So are you I, developing recipes for the dairy industry? I am. I am. I, I, um, I, I do it when, when they, when they need some stuff and I, um, they know that I like to play with my food. Um, and I, uh, I've done some really, I think some nice, um, things that have been some good turns on some. Tell me about, tell me about something that you liked that I, turned out well. I was really, I, I did, of course, you know, you always, whether you're developing for, any, you know, the beef industry, or whatever you want the product to be in the forefront. But one of the things that I really enjoyed was using yogurt to marinate chicken. Um, mm -hmm. It has some natural enzymes in it and it really, you don't have to do a long marinade, really easy to do. I did a series for them using the Instapot because it seems like everybody was buying Instapots. And I personally, <laughs> I've been cooking for as long as I just don't need another appliance. Right. Well, I actually kind of fell in love with it. And I, I don't think that my slow cooker is talking to me anymore. It's, <laughs> it's, I've, I just found it. Wow. You could really do dinner, you know, in 30 minutes with this, but I did some, you know, braising, um, pork and other things in milk is a long traditional cooking method. And I did some creamy pork chops, but the one that I really was fascinated with, I love gazpacho. We're in Florida. Nothing is more cooling than a really great tomato-based soup with some bell peppers in there 
And I, I think everyone likes gazpacho, mm -hmm. at least my friends do. But I added a little bit of milk to it and it made it so velvety. Uh, I, yeah, I'd be made, down for that for sure. It was yeah. so easy breezy. Um, I just, things like that to me, it's like, don't, you know, I was sort of brought up in the Becky Homecky generation. You know, I grew up growing up in the Midwest, you know, Homec started in the fourth grade, you know, it didn't end until, you know, you were out of high school, you were sewing and you were embroidering and you were cooking. But I, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's like grammar, you learn rules, you know, and you don't, you're not supposed to break the rules. And I think the really great thing about um, playing with your food is, is the breaking of the rules going, uh, people go, I don't think you should go that way. It's like, I'm not going to know until I get, until I try it. So yeah, maybe uh, you can't still call it gazpacho, but maybe it's some other delicious right. yeah, thing. It turned out but to be really, really good. And, and, not, sounds and I'm great. not just patting myself on the back. But No, I, but and I, we're going to have I was that. Really, I, really I was really proud of it. And there's, of course, there's always wonderful well, kinds of sweets and stuff that you can do. Um, well, ice cream. Oh. But we're going to have that gazpacho recipe on our website, yes. if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Can't great. wait to share it. Let, Heather, talk to me, though, about the taste of Florida milk, because obviously what the cows eat affects the taste. No. Tell me about the taste. Well, the, the taste is really interesting because while they do graze like most cows do, our cows actually eat a lot of byproducts that would have ended up in the landfill. Um, another, they'll, they'll consume citrus pulp. Um, brewer's grain, um, whole cottonseed. And so a lot of that um, does end up, you know, in the taste. Now, I think that our, I think our milk to me, and I grew up in the Midwest, so I've had a lot of milk. My uncle actually had a dairy farm in upstate New York. Um, but I think ours has this rich, wonderful mouthfeel. And I don't know if it's related to the heat of the environment or what it is, but you know, if I were doing it like a wine tasting, um, I think that there's a clean grass feel to it. Um, mm -hmm. That's hard for some people to get there if you don't do a lot of tasting, but Ooh, why do I want to taste grass in my milk? Um, I'm talking about that clean blade kind of thing. I, I don't get any herbal sensation. I just get that wonderful, wonderful, um, rich mouthfeel. Um, mm -hmm. a little bit, I don't, I don't, when I talk about, you know, them being able to not add things to the landfill and use things like citrus pulp, it's not that, um, you get all of that to me in, in the milk. I think that by the time it's processed and pasteurized, it's just a really lush kind of, um, taste. Now, a lot of people, it's, it's like tomatoes, you know, there are people who say, I'm sorry, Jersey is the only place you can get a tomato. Other people would say, oh, no, no, it's a Tennessee tomato. Um, I think that the, the environment does add to it and also the breed adds to it. Mm -hmm. But I think that our milk, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a Holstein thing, and I've never really given the, the, the breed enough credit. But I, my, for me, it's just a really rich mouthfeel. And you said some, there is some cheese being produced in the state it is it's niche cheese there's there's some goat cheese and some other there's not you're not you know this is not wisconsin um mm -hmm. you know or or even the northeast so we don't have a lot of stuff there's some great um cheese makers out of um south of gainesville and hawthorne um and some other places like that you'll find a lot of great goat goat cheese 
around mm-hmm. Loxahatchee um, and other places like that. And um, a lot of times you can get them in local markets. So you always need to, to seek those out. Heather McPherson, it was an honor and it was so much fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. This has been great. It's so wonderful sitting down with two people and knowing that we're going to spread the good word about Florida agriculture. That was food writer and publicist Heather McPherson. We've got her recipe for garden gazpacho at our website, thezestpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Robin Sussingham. Dalia Cologne and I produce The Zest with help from Cheyenne Jaglal and Mark Hayes. Copyright 2020, WUSF Public Media, University of South Florida.